is not a Ferrari pit stop, Brianna. This is a podcast. Of course, it is. everything is confused. Parker's right. confused. No one knows what day it is. My brain is confused. Some yeah. kind of like breaking, unbelievable news will probably occur tomorrow because we're recording on a Monday. <laughs> Nicole, you were right. There was news, and you specifically <laughs> guessed the news. And if you're you're hearing this right now, it means you're listening to our Thursday episode. And yesterday, we dropped a bonus episode with all of Nicole's thoughts and feelings, which Nicole will now give you a small preview to. What? <laughs> What? What? what, what huh? There's still a Mercedes and Ferrari size gap between Red Bull and the rest of the field, but that doesn't mean this weekend was lacking in drama. McLaren and Williams jumped up, Ferrari struggled with decisions, Aston Martin struggled with pace, Perez struggled to keep the rumor mill quiet, and Mercedes struggled to live up to their own expectations. We will attempt to explain why all of these things happened. Silverstone will always be that racetrack because it is incapable of having a bad race. But boy, did Pirelli try to make that happen this weekend. So we're bringing back Tire Taboo to explain exactly what that remark meant without using words such as tire, pace, and performance. Uh, Basically, Nicole gets really excited that she gets to hit the buzzer when I mess up. Speaking of Nicole, she's going to catch us up on all things F1 pop culture, including all the details we have of the Hollywood movie that was shooting at the Grand Prix this weekend. This race had plenty that was worthy of awards, so stay tuned throughout the show for the various podiums we're going to give out. And lastly, F1 dropped the 2024 race calendar last week. There were ways it improved on this year's calendar, ways it fell short, but my biggest question is why did F1 drop this the Wednesday in between a back-to-back before one of their biggest races coverage-wise of the season? It felt like uh, a news dump that you were trying to hide. Very confusing. But that wraps up the formation lap for episode 25 of Gridwalk, a weekly Formula One podcast that believes there are fascinating stories to discuss in every corner of the F1 grid. Please don't forget to like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Follow and turn on auto-downloads if you're listening on any audio platform. All things that really, really help support the show. Cole and Brown are lined up on the grid. It's lights out. And away we go on this week's grid walk. McLaren showed up to Silverstone with a pace that just seemed like unbelievably out of this world. That I Joe was on the floor the entire time. Um, is this real? <sighs> Do, can we, I mean, not that you can see the future and say we can expect this at every single future race, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Is this real? <laughs> I mean, it wasn't fake. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> which is an unfair answer to your question. Uh, I don't think we can project out. I think the uh, the number one thing that I know to be true still is that there is still a Mercedes and Ferrari size hole between Red Bull and the rest of the field. Mm-hmm. So what I, I believe the trend we're starting to see emerge this season is that because Mercedes and Ferrari are unable to take that next step, what's happening is we're seeing midfield teams. Uh, I always feel like midfield is the most generic word used in all of Formula One. So let's define it for the purpose of having this conversation. So we have Red Bull. Then we have what I'll call like the sleeping giants, which is Ferrari and Mercedes. And then I will say upper midfield and then slow teams. And yeah. so I'm, so what we've seen this season is the upper midfield, which I'm going to call Alpine, McLaren, and Aston, 
able to make these large strides in development that is putting them ahead or on par with our sleeping giants. But there's still that gap to Red Bull because they're coming from too far back, that their big strides aren't closing that gap. And the teams that should be closing the gap with big strides are Mercedes and Ferrari, but they haven't been able to bring that leap in performance. Uh, so we saw that with Alpine around the Monaco time. We saw that at the start of the season with Aston Martin. And I guess it was McLaren's turn to, to jump our sleeping giants. So I did try to pull data to... The other side of is this real? Is, okay, where are they making up their time? Is this replicable? And how did they do better than the other teams? So this, what we're looking at on the screen here, and again, if you're not watching on YouTube, feel free to come over to YouTube and take a look at all the graphs and stuff, but I'm gonna do my best to describe it with words as well, so you don't have to. We're looking at the stint one average lap time where all the drivers were on mediums. Oh, fun aside, Nicole. This was the first week where I got to pull data from seven teams because there were seven yep. teams that are relevant. Seven teams I, that had information that you needed to pay attention to. I know. Uh, I, I actually pulled, so I pulled McLaren and I pulled Alpine and I pulled Williams this week, which is wow. just wild. I know. All the other teams I pull every week, but. Uh, so essentially we have their average lap time and then most importantly, everyone's average lap time gap to max on this medium stint. And Norris was three and a half tenths, average lap time to max. Piastri was four tenths. And then Lewis was six, followed by the Ferraris at nearly eight tenths, Perez at eight and a half tenths. Uh, and then you get your first Aston Martin pretty on par with Perez at eight and a half tenths. Then you get Alpine, William, and then uh, Stroll. Stroll had a really rough weekend. I won't touch that. So the McLarens were sizably faster on a lap in that during race pace on their mediums than the next closest competitor, which was Lewis. And I don't have Russell here because he was on softs, uh, but I will let you know as an aside that he was doing the same lap time on softs as Lewis was doing on mediums. So I then dug into uh, the sector times because I wanted to learn where McLaren was making up this time compared to all the other teams. So sector one, Max and Lewis were actually doing the same lap time. Lewis's gap to Max was four thousandths of a second on oh, average cool. in sector one. Um, then the next fastest was Carlos, followed actually by Alex Albon and the Williams. And down towards the bottom of our rankings here is the McLaren. So they were actually losing about a tenth in sector one to Max, but it was sector two where they were back on top, where again, they're only losing a tenth to max in sector two when all the other teams are losing anywhere from three to eight tenths in sector two. And sector two is where you get the super fast corners where, um, where you are cornering, but you're not, you're not lifted at all. There's, there's no breaking Roger. happening like as you go through corpse essentially. Just turn nine. Yes. Uh, yeah. Which I, I said because I, I only knew it was corpse because I read that as I said it, just so we're clear. <laughs> the turn names are very difficult at 
uh, Silverstone, in my opinion. And then you go to Sector 3, um, and Sector 3 is where McLaren is losing the most time to the Red Bull, but they're more on par with the Mercedes, where Lando was only losing a little over a tenth, but then Lewis and Piastri were losing two and a half, three tenths to Max in Sector 3. So the strength of the McLaren was, is high-speed cornering, and they were, they were losing almost no time to Max in that compared to all the other teams. So if you're looking for when is the next time McLaren is going, could have a performance like this one, I would look for tracks that have a lot of high-speed corners versus the low-speed area. But, that's, I mean, like, yeah, they had a good weekend. But I won't rely on anything right now not being a fluke. Yeah, you never know. It needs to, we need to see at least a two-race consistency. Um, can you hop to Sector 3 really quick? Because I just yes. have either a question slash have to point something out to go into my next. Yeah, um, laughing right here about Gap to Max for Oscar and Checo is exactly the same at <laughs> 0.269. So they're literally both the exact same thing. And if you had told either of us at the start of the season that Oscar Piastri was going to have the same Gap to Max as Checo, I would have literally fallen on the floor. So we don't have enough time to go yeah. into the details of the fact of like Checo and his data and numbers compared to Max this week in race, out of race, all the above. All so just it. yes. And I I've stared at this for a long time and running these numbers and I didn't realize that those numbers were, we're exactly like, identical. Exactly identical. I was yeah. just laughing. I was like, haha, that's so funny to yeah. see, but okay. <laughs> um before we move on real fast, I did pull um, qualifying laps for like the fastest lap for Norris, Hamilton, and Verstappen. And then um, courtesy of F1Tempo.com, which is an awesome site if you just want to pull telemetry, you get this like great map of like where people are strong on a lap. Um, and you'll be able to see like where the McLaren was the strongest to Max and Lewis here. And it just supports the high speed cornering and of it all. Who knows? The fact that we're we're just here. We're we're here because Mercedes and Ferrari can't get their head around upgrading their cars right now. And like I just I don't want to discredit McLaren. Like they did a great job, but like they're not the team we need. Like if we want anyone to compete with Red Bull, like they're not the team we need bringing massive performance upgrades. No, especially as they were already talking about having massive upgrades and not being happy about their car before the season even started, which is still the funniest thing that happened. And okay, they were great. the slowest car in Bahrain. The, uh, that's so like, congratulations, I'm... but you don't go from being the slowest car in Bahrain to competing with Red Bull. You do exactly what just happened where you go from the slowest car in Bahrain to like, oh my God, great. We have a podium, but like, we need someone else to do the, uh, the next. We need no a one can do the next. wake up and actually have a major upgrade that <laughs> can catch the Red Bull. But it was, it was fun and exciting to see Lando leading Max for four laps just because it was like, oh my goodness, Max is not in P1. Like, wow, interesting. Someone posted a, uh, a really disingenuous graphic, in my opinion, that it's like, look at all the different teams that have led laps in this season. Isn't that exciting? That's so competitive. And it, it's like Aston Martin, Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, of course, McLaren and Alpine. 
Alpine, I believe. I don't know if Alpine actually has. I, but they, they were like, but they were essentially trying to say like, look, F1's so competitive now. And it's like, yeah, the one thing Max has struggled with all season is he can't get his start off well. Mm-hmm. Like I, one over summer break, when we need something to talk about, I will definitely come and pull Max's start performance times because they actually have been dreadful, but they haven't needed to be good. So it doesn't matter. Well, we talked a little bit about Oscar already, and it was looking like he was going to end up on the podium. But, you know, sometimes safety cars happen and people strategy, whatever, Lewis on the podium. I'm not going to be upset about that at all. Oscar will have his time. So what are the numbers telling us about Oscar? Was this like also just a great weekend for him and it was just bad timing? Give us a little bit of insight of what we can see for him. I, Oscar? Doing well is so exciting to me. I really want him to do well in this sport. And he was touted as this like amazing, great talent, the best thing we've seen since like Max or maybe even Lewis, like crazy, crazy praise. And coming into this weekend, so he didn't get the upgrade last weekend, only Lando did, which means that Lando has one extra week of knowledge on how to use this car. Then this week, Lando actually has an upgraded front wing that Piastri didn't get. So he's actually a development behind Lando. And the performance he put in was incredible for his 10th race in F1, his first race where he's actually competing for anything. Holy crap, this guy's going to be good. Like, I, it is unbelievable so being he was told just stay behind lanto and he did but his race pace on a car that is a development behind was less than a tenth a lap slower than lanto who everyone everyone is dubbing lanto is like the next great thing of f1 piastri not in equal machinery is, is doing the same? Absolutely incredible. Like, I spent the, like, not only did I spend the entire race impressed, but I then, going through all this data, got even more impressed by him. Well, I'm excited to see where he's going to go. It kind of felt like it was an inevitable McLaren double podium this weekend, and then you know, K-Mag does what K-Mag does. Uh, Haas does what Haas does. Haas does what Haas does. I know, I was going to say. I don't know if I can just plan to, like, credit that only to K-Mag. But it felt really wild. It felt really incredible. But I need a sleeping giant to have these major upgrades because I want to keep seeing someone continuously chasing and fighting Max and not be like, an, oh, my God, look at this. Every weekend I want it to be normal for their I like feel-good stories. Like we, and we need them this season because of, um, actually this is the greatest lead someone has had from P1 to P2 in the last 10 years. Like I think the next closest one after uh, 10 was either 2019 or 2020. Lewis was up by about like 40 something points to Botas in the, like it, this, like we need feel good stories. But I would like someone to be competitive and not fake competitive. Like this week where Red Bull gets to like look at the final time because there was a safety car that closed up the field and pretends like they were actually scared of McLaren. So the FIA doesn't like smack them down with rules to make the series more competitive. Like this is 
<laughs> like, just remember that team principals are politicians. So when Christian Horner is like, oh, yeah, I mean, the, like, the McLaren was really close, and we were really worried about our softs. Like, uh-huh, okay, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah. the McLaren was good this week, and Oscar Piastri was fantastic this week. It'll be hopeful. That at least will be a continued, continuously interesting teammate battle. First podium of the weekend. It's a biggie. It's a fun one. These are some of my favorites. I think eight or nine drivers brought special helmets to the Grand Prix this weekend. I should have counted before we started. <laughs> Everyone loves to celebrate Silverstone. Yeah. And most, so many of them, even if they're not a British driver, like, did their junior career, so they really grew up there. So, we're gonna do best specialty helmets of the weekend. I do have two honorable mentions. We love our honorable mentions. They're always very, I mean, we, they're fitting. It's hard to make decisions. Three is not right. enough options. No, so I cheated, and I'm assuming based on how you're saying that, that you followed the rules and you only brought a P1 through P3. I did. I, I did have a P1 okay. through P3, but I'm happy to hear that you have honorable mentions. Okay. Well, honorable mention one, Esty Bestie. While it wasn't my favorite design, I liked the idea that if you're going to bring a tribute helmet to the fact that the race team operates out of England, the fact that he put all the names of people who worked in the factory on the helmet, I just thought it was wholesome and worth an honorable mention. Absolutely adorable. I love that one. And then honorable mention two is Lewis Hamilton. I don't think it actually qualifies as a special helmet, which is why it's not on my podium. He j- but I did like that he put the Mission 44 logo on the top of his helmet, which is where you get most of the camera angles. And for a nonprofit organization that works primarily out of the UK, it just felt like important to call attention to it. And therefore I am now gonna call further attention to it by putting it as an honorable mention on the podium. All right, let's actually get into this. Okay, what well, is your P3? I will kick off by P3 with, and um, it kind of works out because it was an honorable mention, SD Bestie. Ah, sorry. No, that's okay. I also really loved it and I appreciate, you know, the acknowledgement of team members working in any sense and like that being a call it to home. I also love that it had the coordinates of both of their factories on it. Like, I think that's really sick. Yeah, so a cool idea and... Wow, the, someone sat with a good amount of time and had the placement to make sure all of those names fit well. So shout out to them. <laughs> did it have every name or like, did they send out a Google form? It was like, if you want your name on the helmets, it's like first come, first serve. And you had to like write in the name. Like how they sell che- like squares on the checkered flag. It's like, have yes. your name on the flag. Like if on you don't SD submit this. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, all right, my P3 was Fernando Alonso. I don't normally put Alonzo on many podiums, but his helmet this week with the like throwback number on it was really cool. And it's also, it's actually the same kind of style as the Williams livery for Singapore, the special golf livery I voted for. I just, I love that like old timey circle number. It's always gonna get me. I knew you were gonna have this on yours and it was you were gonna be like, I don't wanna put Fernando on here, but it is really cool and we love throwbacks and no callbacks to old things and Aston Martin has such history so that was definitely a really really cool design okay so we're on to P2 I had a rule for myself on this podium that I was only allowed to select one 
shiny chrome designed helmet. I set unnecessary rules for myself. So P2, I have Pierre Gasly. I was a big fan of his obnoxious shiny chrome like British UK flag and it, Alpine had just such a like hardcore unnecessarily hardcore like intro video of it of the helmet just going around the UK and just all of these different places and things it shot really cool it looked cool in the lighting and just was definitely my pick um, and I mean, we have the other obvious chrome pick, but I was going with the theme of the British GP here, and I picked Pierre for my P2. I love when we do these podiums and we both do them, because this is where, like, our different tastes really show, because I thought that was the ugliest helmet. I I thought the only helmet that was uglier this weekend was Valtteri's, and and it'd be really funny if in a second you tell me that's your P1. Oh, Nicole has left the frame. For those of you watching on YouTube, there is now just a chair and Taylor Swift down. I'm literally not even going to wait. I'm not even going to wait for you to tell me anything else. My P1, Valtteri Bottas. I loved how corny and unbelievably 2012 keep calm and carry on his helmet was. (laughs) Like, we have such an order that we do these podiums and I'm throwing it out the window because... (laughs) At <laughs> 100% in my nose. I can't breathe. Oh my gosh. I thought, like, I think there's a way you can do chuggy in, like, that's fun. And I did not think Whoa, that. Oh my god. You gotta do chuggy. You gotta do chuggy as not. No, he did. He did such an incredible level of chuggy. And 2012, Nicole would have absolutely, like, had that phone, uh, had, like, that pattern as, like, her phone background. <laughs> like, this is incredible. Well, we I... did not write this. Anyway, <laughs> no. so clearly we have different P2s and P1s. <laughs> oh my gosh, as I was saying it, I watched your face come to a realization. That was, okay. Well, my P2 was Joe's. Mm -hmm. He did a throwback to his carding helmet, and I really liked the colors of it, and I liked that he did a a thing that was, like, British GP-themed without having to put the Union Jack on it. (laughs) Like, you know how we always say that, like, F1, basically what it does is it goes around and appropriates, like, every stereotype of an area? So I just appreciate when someone avoids doing that. Keep calm, carry on. <laughs> we did not plan this. I cannot no. believe this. This is. I'm so glad this is being recorded in live. Okay, well, my P one is Lando Norris. So it was my Chrome option of choice, and I I loved the marketing of it. But also, if you're gonna go chrome, like go chrome. And he did it. He, he literally did it. he did chrome. It is, it is the chromiest of chrome helmets oh, that have yeah. ever chromed. It really, really was what it was. Did you see the photo after the race of all the bugs that got picked up by the helmet that you can? Because no, ew. <laughs> like which I'm sure always happens and happened to every driver, but you basically just see a bunch of dead gnats all over the helmet because it's chrome and you could see it. Gross. So gross, but uh, yeah. Yeah, so. but 
nothing else could be P1 for me because the marketing of it mixed with like just how sick it looks. And yes, my podium somehow included Alonzo and Lando. Like we need to mark this moment for prosperity. This is an imposter. I do not know who this is, except for the fact that our podiums were so unbelievably different confirms that this definitely is you. So there we go. (laughs) We need to confirm that you're getting multiple viewpoints on this podcast. We sometimes think the same and unbelievably different. The Ferrari fans are fighting again. It was just some more drama with Tifosi. What else is new? I mean, it's basically nothing. So (laughs) was Carlos or Charles faster than the other? What is the truth happening at Ferrari? Or at least this past weekend. The truth is no one should care who which of the drivers was faster because overall the Ferrari pace just was not great. Uh, and operationally, I can't believe they pit Charles when they did. But apparently the topic post-race that took over social media in Ferrari circles was whether or not Carlos or Charles was faster. So I will indulge that question first. Even though I personally think missing the plot, plot, this conversation, but it gave me an excuse to pull up the telemetry, which is fun. So these are the Q3 quali laps where they are nearly identical. (laughs) It's a reminder where Charles did a 27.136 and Carlos did a 27.148. Yes, less than a tenth. Actually, more specifically, one hundredth is what was between these two lap times. Uh, and I love looking at telemetry data because you can really like see the driver make decisions over the course of a lap. And it really just looks like if you look here at the break down here, he just braked like a tiny bit later in the final corner. And you, and this is why I like looking at telemetry data, because you get their speed, you get their throttle movements, and you get their brake. And essentially what you have here is a, like a millisecond more, Charles was later on the brake. And that resulted in making up the lap time from the entire lap and ending up a hundredth faster. So in quali, they were the same. But I also like looking at the fun little map where you can see the red is uh, Leclerc and the white is science. And I don't know, they're pretty well distributed through the lap because they did nearly identical quality lap times. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I'm gonna go no through one, one more- No one Everyone- Yeah, I'm gonna go through one more piece of data here and it's basically just gonna say they were the same, which is gonna be fun. And that's their race pace. Now, because they pit Charles so early, uh, Looking at their second and Charles's third stint is really not comparable. Like they were on hards, like at a small overlapping time, but Leclerc's were so old at that point. Like basically I couldn't get something comparable except for their first stint. And as a reminder, Leclerc's first stint was 19 laps and Carlos's was like 29, I believe. Basically their average lap times in the first stint were separated by two thousandths of a second. So Leclerc averaged over those 19 laps, 33 seconds, 33.340 seconds. And Carlos averaged over those 29 laps, 33.342. 
So it's the two thousandths was the the difference. But they're faster than Checo. They they were both faster than Checo over this stint. Um, slower than Lewis and the McLarens. Um, I I guess. If I was going to come in here and you were like, oh, who was faster? I would say Carlos because he was able to average the same pace as Leclerc over 20 plus laps. And Charles, it was only 19, but the team robbed Charles of being able to show that he could do that. So who knows? They were doing the same pace. Like, (laughs) Stop fighting. It's the same. That's the answer. Stop arguing. Yeah. the, The bigger thing to look at here is... Why were you so slow that you were slower than the McLarens and Lewis? And, like, why do you continue to make bad operations decisions? Like, I don't... I think that, like, if we all want to yell about something with Ferrari... So normally, normally I come in here every post-race week, and I'm like, why can't Ferrari split the strategy? So I am going to sit here and be really proud that Ferrari split their strategy this week. They did something different. They were able to treat their drivers differently. Now, (laughs) now I'm going to flame the Ferrari race operations team for a different reason than we do every week. But I did first want to commend them for trying and understanding that they can split strategies, and that was really big. Now, what I don't understand is in race, no one thought that the softs were going to perform the way they did or the mediums even were going to perform the way they did. Pirelli came in and said the fastest way to do this race was a medium hard one stopper. And it was pretty even with a two stopper that was a medium hard medium or a medium hard soft. The reality is George Russell started the race on a soft tire. Yeah. And it didn't fall off. And then everyone's on the mediums and they're seeing no tire degradation and all the lap times are doing like great. So almost every other team pivoted. And if they were going to do a two stop, they were like, we got to do a one stop. And if they were going to do a one stop medium hard, they all sat there and considered, could they do medium soft? Now you saw some teams, well, you saw McLaren still do a medium hard, which I think even though it worked out, we all agree was not a good decision. If they did medium soft, they might have been able to like go at least try attack Max up front instead of just defending from Lewis. But got too nervous. They were probably just like, let's just stay, stay where we are. Let's do whatever we can to just stay here. <laughs> yeah, it could have gone really bad. They were lucky that it worked out. Ferrari saw all the same data everyone else was seeing. And you know what they did? They were unable in race to change their mind. Because looking at the lap times, there was no signs. There was no sign in lap time that they needed to pit Charles there. Pit now with hearts. So if you're not seeing any tire drop off, and of course they have so much more data than I'm looking at in retrospect, and they're also having to make these decisions on the fly. So I don't want to make it seem like I would have been able to make a better decision. Maybe Ferrari is not looking at whatever you're looking at. I'm just comparing them to the other teams who all said after the race, yeah, we changed our plans mid-race because we weren't expecting the tires to be able to go as long as they did. And then we saw that they were able to do that and we saw what George Russell was doing on the softs. So we changed our plans. Ferrari didn't change their plans. So whether you're a Leclerc fan or a Carlos Sainz fan, can we all know about that? Because, and like, like, yes, 
there was a safety car. Like, that's going to screw with things and, like, performance. But the decision-making and the overall lap times here are a bigger issue than whether or not your driver did two thousandths of a second a lap better than the other one. Like, I don't care which one of the drivers are faster, because neither of them can get on a podium right now. Well, we are talking about Ferrari, so all of this does feel very on brand that we're arguing about the wrong things and also uh made decision but made it wrong <laughs> but yeah, i mean i'm happy you made a decision ferrari no i they split strategies that's it they split strategies and and in some ways that is a win then in some ways it's not podium of data points that we can't get into as much detail as the Ferrari and McLaren stuff, but I need to talk about because I saw it in the data, which I could also translate to data I would have sent to Unicol in a voice note, but instead I'm saying on the pod. Incredible. P3, Perez versus Max. So we'll start with qualifying. I pulled up the telemetry and first I just thought the map was funny which for those of you only listening, uh, the blue is Perez and he has maybe, I'm being generous, a 10th of the lap in blue. And it's just like a couple of various corners on the circuit, but it's just a lot of white, which is Max Verstappen. Uh, but the actual interesting thing is on the telemetry, when you look at the throttle trace and the brake trace, you'll notice that his braking, his meaning Perez, is relatively similar to Max's. Like there's no stark differences here like we were seeing with Leclerc and Sainz. But what we're actually seeing is the throttle trace. So Max was spending more of the lap at full throttle than Perez was. So you can see, um, particularly about halfway through the lap here, like there were moments in the high speed corners where Max lifted significantly less compared to Paris. And I really think that's a lot of where his lap time was made up, was the fact that like Paris just doesn't feel as confident with the car. So it seems like he feels confident enough in braking, but not in not braking. Um, but quick lap time numbers. Overall average lap in the first stint when they were both on mediums, Perez was nearly nine tenths a lap, almost a full second slower than Verstappen. Uh, normal caveats here, of course, Perez was in traffic and behind, but he also had DRS, so I don't know, you know, and Max really didn't. Yeah, so that with that, there you go, that's P3. Let's go on to P2 of random data points we can't get into with a lot of detail. Lewis's pace on the mediums versus Russell on the softs. So uh, Lewis did the exact same average lap time on the mediums as Russell did on the softs. And yes, this is my Lewis Hamilton propaganda. And uh, there, that's it. That's really all I have to say there. And P1, just everything the Williams did this weekend. I think notably there's sector one here. The fact that Albon on the medium in, in that first stint was the fourth fastest driver in sector one. He was only four hundredths away from Max's average time in sector one. The only other drivers that were faster in sector one than Alex Albon 
well, Max, I'm not counting Max, because everything's the gap to Max, uh, is Lewis and Carlos. So he did, he was faster than both Aston Martins, the other Ferrari, the Alpine, both McLarens and Sergio Perez. Struggled more in sector two, which is why his total lap time didn't end up high in this group. But then he was middle of the pack for sector three. And he was only losing three tenths to Max, which put him on par with the Ferraris and faster than the Astons. So Williams pace, not those Friday free practice numbers. Well, obviously they're inflated by like all the, the normal confounding practice events. Like, I don't think they were a fluke. Like Williams data here doesn't say like free practice fluke. This was, they were in the points on merit this weekend. Unbelievable. I never thought it was going to happen. I mean, yeah, the free practice data, no matter how much of a fluke it was, was even still just, whoo! They were fast! Wild time as a, just, just as Williams. Wow, 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 wow. Hey, podcast listeners. Gossip Grid here, your guide to F1's paddock elites. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Gossip Grid, where I give you everything that you need to know about F1 and pop culture. So, of course, with the Silverstone Grand Prix, it was guaranteed to be a star-studded event, as there's a lot of fun and glitz and glam happening over in Britain right now. Wimbledon is currently happening, and today, as we are filming this, Charles and Pierre actually went to Wimbledon today. But everything else that we're going to talk about has to do with everything that went on in Silverstone because if when Silverstone's going down, celebrities are there and they want to appear on the grid. So we had Florence Pugh waving the checkered red flag, who looked like she had more fun than any person I've ever seen waving the checkered red, the checkered flag. Um, so bring her back for more races and just I would love to continue to see her on the grid. Hannah. Um, Waddingham correctly addresses Sir Lewis Hamilton as the eight-time world champion, and if I didn't love her enough already from Ted Lasso, that really confirmed it. Cara Delevingne not only did a hot lap, but was able to uh, take a seat in the CR43 as a guest of Alfa Romeo, and we don't need to get into it, or we can get into it, but if someone says no, that they don't want to be interviewed at something, that's okay, and you can say no to something. That doesn't mean you're not interested in the event that you're attending. No means no, in every context. Thank you. So, Cara Delevingne, guest of Alfa Romeo, and looked like she had a great time doing her hot lap and everything else that she was there for. Lewis Hamilton, as always, top-notch fits all weekend, so I could shout out every single one, but I will not do that. I just need to give a shout out to, God, I think they were all my favorite, but I really absolutely loved his um, Mao Wow Lola uh, matching set that he had on the first day when he showed up with Roscoe. It was unbelievable. Loved the good 44 on the back. All right. I've been dying to talk about it. You knew I was going to be talking about it. Let's talk about the Brad Pitt movie that started filming this weekend at Silverstone. We've been talking about it for a while. We haven't been getting too many details, so this is completely where we get to dive in on everything that we now know about this movie. So, if you didn't know, Brad Pitt was filming in Silverstone this weekend. He is filming a F1 movie with executive producer Lewis Hamilton. It is being done with the director of the... Uh, most recent Top Gun Maverick movie. It looks like it's going to be a lot of fun and everything that we got to know this weekend. 
Rumor on the grid is that the movie will be called Apex, but that is in a now deleted tweet courtesy of ESPN F1. But the current team name that we are seeing across the garage, across their race suits, across the livery is Apex GP. So it seems like that is the team name of the film. Brad Pitt will play Sonny Hayes. Damson Idris will play Joshua Pierce. All of the footage and clips of all of their actual real-life garage they got to take over was incredibly funny, except all of the data on the screens was completely out of whack and absolutely hysterical. I think we need to have Brianna dive into that on another episode. The livery was definitely giving uh, rich energy, even though they were probably going for the black and gold lotus. I really just think they were trying to go for as far of an opposite of all of the current cars on the grid, and you don't have any black and gold on the grid right now, so I think that's definitely what they were going for with their F2 modified car, courtesy of Mercedes. So yes, it's giving rich energy, but they're really just trying to not be any current cars on the grid. Rich rich energy really ruined the fun for the rest of the grid, because now no one's going to be able to bring a black and gold livery without someone making that joke, and that is disappointing, because a black and gold livery is so sick. Right, and they even with their fire suits, like their race suits are white, like Apex GP, like they didn't even get to do like the black and gold like kind of look there, which would also look really sick, but I loved all the rich energy jokes all weekend. Absolutely really, really funny. We're finally getting more details of what this movie is actually about, besides it just being that, you know, uh, Brad Pitt's a washed up F1 driver, like comes back. We kind of still only have that information, but with a little bit more context. So Brad Pitt is a famous driver who raced in the 90s. He had like a really horrible crash or something that kind of makes him disappear, step out of the limelight of F1. And then years later, he has a really good friend that is the owner of an F1 team and contacts him to come back and help out. The team is in last place. They are in the 21st, 22nd spots on the grid. So that's what's happening in this world of F1. And they've never even scored a point. So they have this young phenom driver who's played by Damson Idris. And they bring Brad in to kind of be his mentor, his role model, and form the team as like a final Hail Mary for the entire ordeal of what everything that will, be ensue, that will ensue. It sounds like they're using really unique, crazy, cool... Uh, technology for all of this. They have cameras mounted all over the car that they're using, so we're going to get some really good viewpoints of it. I'm really expecting a Top Gun F1 style of movie. Brad Pitt stopped into the driver's meeting to thank everyone for letting them be there, and you could tell which drivers were definitely fangirling a little bit too hard. Spot a selfie on Pierre Gasly's Instagram that he definitely needed to take with Brad Pitt. And you know what? I gotta give Carlos some, uh, I'm gonna give him kudos for just gonna be right place, right time, because if Brad Pitt was filming a movie in my workplace, you best believe, I would make sure that I was standing everywhere I needed to be to make sure that I had a cameo in that, when he was really probably just doing his job and being where the race cars drivers were so uh, hopefully we will continue to see we will continue to see filming throughout the season and i'm excited to see more of this behind the scenes of whatever this f1 movie will turn out to be i was really jealous of everyone who was at the track this weekend they got to see the stunt drivers go around in their filming and it, and by the way it was stunt drivers going around like they didn't put brad pitt in an f2 car and say go fast around the circuit which I probably would have paid to see. Like, that sounds entertaining. But, uh, like, you got these, like, two cars side by side, and one had the camera and one had the stunt driver. It was really cool. Yeah, the footage is definitely going to be really sick and interesting, and I also just can't wait to when we're seeing this and being like, oh, that's Silverstone, and we know what's actually happening in all of this. But 
I'm excited for this movie. I'm excited to see the technology that they're using. And again, just having a major motion picture based on F1. And with Lewis involved as an, as an executive producer, I'm excited to see what touches he adds to the film as well. I know Lewis is really focused on making it as accurate as possible. And there was one thing that happened this weekend that I thought was very inaccurate. And it wasn't the date on the screen that you already pointed out, because no one's going to see that in the movie. But it was the fact that the drivers, the Apex GP drivers standing there for the national anthem, and neither of them had their race suits slowly tied around their waist. They had them fully on. That is not accurate. What is going on? Well, that's everything that I have for this week's Gossip Grid, jam-packed straight out of a Hollywood film this time around, and it will not be the last. So I'll catch you next time on Gossip Grid. So this was not the Silverstone that Mercedes, I will say, advertised and... (laughs) That's weird. Toto advertised competing for a win. This was not that. And I really do believe that the man thought that's what was going to happen and it just wasn't okay but that's not why i'm here this is a podium of moments as a mercedes fan that didn't make me want to cry and scream from silverstone (laughs) so you know what because the glass can be half full even times when it just feels half empty and this could have been a podium of every single moment that lewis hamilton basically like breathed air at silverstone And I chose to not have it be that type of podium. So these are some wholesome moments, some great moments, some wonderful Mercedes moments. So it wasn't Lewis's podium or Lewis's incredible race pace or Lewis not bashing the car just with the sledgehammer because he was so frustrated. None of those things. None of those things are on this podium, but they all definitely could have all qualified for P1. So instead, I will start with P3. George having a wholesome family moment on stage. So at the fan stage area, you know, he brings out his niece and nephew and they're like decked out in GR 63 merch. I'm just like, this is so cool and cute. And imagine like your uncle's an F1 driver and you get to be brought out on stage at Silverstone of all places, like a hardcore, like definite core memory being like developed at that time. I was like, I want to do this. That did not make me want to cry or scream. Right, I think right. that's a good P3. It, like it was like a wholesome cry. It was like yeah. a, oh, like that kind of cry. Not like a, oh my God, why did I make these decisions in life? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. P2. Um, P2. George and Toto's uniquely patterned shirts. This <laughs> video I watched numerous times in a row. It is George sporting an incredible Darth Toto, fully patterned, repeated shirt. And Toto then in a Susie Wolf patterned, repeated shirt. And I think I need both of those shirts. I don't know which one I want more, but I think I need both of them. I just loved the video for watching Toto's immediate distaste for the fact that he knew, damn, I'm going to have to put on that shirt. And it didn't matter whose face was on the shirt. It just doesn't match Toto's whole whole thing. And He's he... in the middle of eating breakfast and George walks in wearing that shirt and Toto knew there's uh-huh. going to be one that I'm going to have to wear with somebody's face. But you know what? He probably thought it was George's face. And then maybe when he saw that it was Susie's, he was like, okay, I guess. Like, 
Maybe it's less, but he just knew that no matter what, this is exactly what was going to go, he gonna go down. He still leaned into the bit. Leaned into the bit and respect Darth Toto for that bit. And P1, superstar of the entire re- weekend, Roscoe Hamilton. This dog is media trained. He was anywhere, everywhere, all the time. I can't believe the amount of attention. You would think he's an additional driver on this grid. I was losing my mind when he showed up with Lewis on the first day. And then every single day after that, Roscoe was delivering on the content. I went into this weekend fully expecting way too much Brad Pitt content. And I think Roscoe Hamilton upstaged Brad Pitt. I saw maybe two or three like photos that everyone put out of Brad Pitt in the filming of the movie. At least a dozen different unique pieces of content that other people were like, I want to do content with that dog. And don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure Roscoe has more Instagram followers than at least 80% of the grid. And I will put up on the screen what the actual ranking he is. Um, on the YouTube video, because I don't remember right now. But but Roscoe Hamilton is the man. I definitely saw more interviews from Roscoe this weekend than some drivers. Like, there's definitely some drivers that I did not personally watch interviews for. And I watched multiple interviews of a dog and a tiny microphone. So, you know, he was the superstar. Shout out to Roscoe. We are back with another edition of Tire Taboo. We had discussed a little bit earlier during our data deep dives about how Pirelli had new tires this weekend at Silverstone and we saw them and they did things and they didn't do things that they said they were going to do. But I don't want to dive too much into that because we're back with Tire Taboo and Brianna's going to tell us all about everything we need to know around the new tires that we saw at Silverstone. But she cannot use the words degradation tire, pace, downforce, and performance. Mm. So we have to talk about tires and you can't talk about tires. We, spoiler alert, we'll be talking about degradation and you can't talk about degradation. Um, Lots of fun things. So I will be on it and alerting and doing a really obnoxious, fun buzzer sound every time Brianna messes up. So again, degradation. Oh, yeah, this is such a fun game. Tire, <laughs> pace, downforce, performance. Let's get into it. So first off, why did we get new tires at Silverstone, Brianna? I hate when she gets to use the word in the question. <laughs> so I can't even do the basic thing of repeating the question and rolling. Okay. At the start, like in the winter... Teams are required to give estimated levels of, I'm going to purposely mess up here because there's no way to do it, estimated levels of downforce uh, to Pirelli. And then Pirelli wants to design wheels that uh, will uh, reduce lap times over time. But uh, they don't want them to pop or explode under the loads that the cars are pushing on them. (laughs) This is is always so difficult. 
The estimated levels of load. See, the thing is, I'm going to use load, but I know load and downforce hit the buzzer are different things. So I don't want anyone in the mentions telling me that they're, <laughs> they're different because I know they're different. Someone's going to correct um, you in the game of taboo. Being, what you're saying is wrong. It's like, because she can't say downforce. It's close enough. <laughs> the, uh, so what happened was the team's level of load was so much higher, even at the start of the season, than Pirelli expected. So they fast-tracked their 2024 tire, their 2024 things that hit the track <laughs> to, to Silverstone. Because particularly at a track like the one we were just at, there is a high likelihood of uh, the wheels exploding. Uh, now, that is why we got these new tires. It's because... Ah, this is because we, uh, Pirelli, like, didn't want someone to DNF for the rest of the season. That's the whole, the whole intention of bringing these new wheels to Silverstone. Nice. You almost had it there. Okay, so we got new tires at Silverstone. <laughs> uh, did, did it work? Did this, did it? do what they wanted it to do and even if it did how did it affect the racing that we saw i would say based on what we can see it worked because there was no explosions <laughs> and the tires made it they made it to the end of the race uh, and this is one of the like one of the thing I can say that word. This is one of the tracks that is going to put the highest amount of stress on the wheels of an F1 car. I just think wheels is such a bad sounding word. It like, just makes me sound, so it, it literally, every time you say wheels, I just think of hot wheels or like wheels on the bus, which is like not yeah, one my bar. brain goes wheels on the bus, goes round and round, round and round, round and round. Um, so I, I guess for that purpose, it did work. I think on the other side of it, though, it made me really worried because we saw no drop off on any of the tires, on any of the wheels this week as stints went on. I know I mentioned it earlier, but George Russell was able to do almost 30 laps on softs, and that shouldn't be possible. And what we don't know right now is... Was that because of this new construction that they brought with these new tires? Or, is, ah, or was that because Pirelli was too conservative in picking the C1, C2, C3, and they should have gone down? And I, I understand why Pirelli, from a business perspective, would want to be conservative. But we, like, a true one-stop that probably could have been a no-stop at the British Grand Prix is worrisome to me. Yeah. This this is a circuit that puts so much stress through the wheels of an F1 car. <laughs> and so if you can't get a two-stop out of this race, it would be like you'll definitely won't get a two-stop out of upcoming races. 
And so that, so did it improve racing? I don't know if this new tire construction was the problem. Damn it. Um, Tires really getting you in this tire. And it seems like it's the most obvious one. And it's great. It's so fun. I'm not normally this bad with that word. Um, is I don't know if it was the construction that was the problem this weekend, but they're neat. Like for F1 racing to be truly, truly good, in my opinion, the difference between a one-stop and a two-stop needs to be so, so small that the teams don't know which one is going to be the best. And the bigger differentiation there is in what is the quote-unquote, like, best or second best, uh, I'm, I'm reading the list of words and I'm like, can I say this? Uh, tires... Yeah, no, I couldn't. I couldn't say that. Reads words I can't say. Says word says I words. cannot say. <laughs> um, pit strategy. The better the racing's going to be, because we want the teams to be forced into maybe making the wrong decision or having multiple decisions that could be right decisions. And tires need to. I was so focused on not saying degradation that I said tires. Um, wheels need to fall off during the course of a stint in order to make that happen. So racing strategy wasn't great this weekend. And I don't know if right now yet, if that's because of these new tires that came. Wow. Okay. That's it. That's, that <laughs> is everything you should know. It. Yeah. End my pain and my suffering. I don't think I've, we've played this game so many times now, it feels like, and I, I've never Tires really got you. You just really <gasps> didn't want to say wheels. And you know what? That's that's okay. Well, thanks for playing. Tire taboo. I hope someone actually learned something in between all of my just screaming. Marketing moments of the weekend. If this is your first Gridwalk episode, or you haven't heard us say this yet, we both work in marketing. We're both big marketing business nerds. So I thought there was enough cool marketing moments of the weekend to make a podium at. Honorable mention, F1's first attempt at the digital on-track advertisements that you add in post onto the surface. I think this is cool tech. This is tech they use in a ton of other sports. Like notably, I see it all the time in basketball where they'll just put different sponsors on the court. Feels like something F1 was lacking. Now I will say that their first attempt wasn't Stellar, it, it didn't line up quite right, but I'm glad to see them innovating. P3, the Williams pop-up store. I will never skirt around a moment to talk about what a great thing the Williams pop-ups are. They are the only team that's doing this right now. Not only could you go there at certain times to meet different personalities, including their drivers, their team principal, their development drivers, but also just the experience at the pop-ups are so cool. We went to the one in Austin last year. You can drive simulator. You can do the, the button pressy reaction time thing. Their merch is sick. It's just such good marketing and fan activation. P2. Apex GP selling sponsorships for their fake movie car. 
Now, of course, for movies, you sell sponsorships, and that's why there's product placements in movies. But I thought it was really cool marketing that they sold these sponsorship placements, put them on the car, and then you get the extra boost of everyone who's engaging with F1 now and everyone at the track at the circuit who got to see the car go around interact with your sponsors. So they probably got to charge more beyond just it being in the movie because it was there on track. And we all now know that all of these brands are sponsoring this movie. Unbelievable. It's incredible to see sponsorship like that and that like on the liberals. Those are real companies. P1, the Ferris wheel that looks like the Chrome logo. Incredible job. Like, I just love when the Chrome logo for a sponsorship thing goes on anything circular. But what particularly made this special is that that Ferris wheel was behind so many shots of the weekend. And like, it could have just been a Ferris wheel. And instead, it was just always the Chrome logo. I think that Ferris wheel was better marketing well spent than the Chrome livery on the car. Because the car always has Google Chrome marketing. There's not always a Ferris wheel in the background of like every shot with the giant Chrome logo on it. 100%. Ferris wheel with the Chrome logo at every race, now and forever. So I cannot believe that we are somehow talking about the 2024 season calendar. It is July. Uh, we just had Silverstone. Um, and F1 decided that right before one of its biggest races, I mean, in terms of at least like the coverage that it receives of the entire year and like, you know, just let's, here's the, here's the schedule for next year. It seemed to come out of nowhere. Like why, why do this now? Why do it this way? It, it was so unnecessary. This is like a good Friday data drop where they're like trying to hide something. You don't, you don't stick news in between a back-to-back -back for it to be clouded by everything. I, I don't, I don't, I don't understand the media strategy that went on here. Yeah, no, it felt very strange. It, I agree, felt that, like, they were trying to, like, hide something. This just feels like, I always just think the next season calendar is such perfect news to drop during silly season because you don't have anything else to talk about and you can like maintain buzz and things or just like it keeps it in the news stream or even if they waited a week when there's like no race and things and it's quiet and you could be like ah here is the calendar here's something to talk about instead of like we're going into silverstone here's also the 2024 calendar like i'm proud of f1 for being so on top of 2024 that they were able to announce this now i guess but wait two weeks two three weeks like i don't yeah it was weird it was weird weird media strategy we i would not have advised this from the marketing side of things right and uh, i guess also think some people were anticipating like maybe some more changes in the calendar i mean there's been a lot of discussion of how can they make it so that you know everyone's not traveling to opposite sides of the world and things like that uh china's back maybe mm -hmm. we'll see if it stays and uh japan's earlier this year yeah maybe we'll get a dry japanese grand prix which would be incredible i it's such a good racetrack. So it, it's also really great to have 
the Japanese Grand Prix early in the season next year, because we just got out of what is the slog of early races in the F1 calendar, where it's mostly street circuits and mostly circuits where there's not great racing. And then you hit Silverstone and you're like, oh my gosh, yes, F1 is great. I forgot how great F1 was. So I, I'm really excited to have Japan early in the year. Like, I'm also glad that they're able to like match it up with other things in the region and like that's great and I know everyone's working towards that but I really just want a non-rainy Japanese property. Yeah it'll be incredible to see some sort of you know potential difference there because it's a race that is I, I don't think there's any race easy to move so I don't want to say that and be like right. I'm saying that very lightly I think it takes a lot of work to make any sort of changes happen in a any sort of event calendar for a sporting event so um, especially when you're dealing on a global scale like this major to have Japan earlier in the season they've been trying to get Japan moved for a really long time so like to your point people they need to coordinate with local government country government the promoter that is putting on the race like there are so many and that the sponsors the stakeholders in getting a date changed for one of these grand prix is wild which leads me into the next big topic of discussion around this i've seen and i think we are uniquely suited to answer this question so there are, japan was moved miami wasn't and so the miami gp is still when it is the canadian gp is still is when it is so people want to know why miami can't be moved either in june to when the canadian gp is or to the end of the season when the rest of the north and south american leg of f1 is so nicole as the person who lived in miami the longest between the two of us do you want to answer this question oh back in my day yeah so <laughs> i have done quite a few different events and experienced quite a few different things at hard rock stadium so hard rock stadium has like a thousand different events throughout the year so at the end of august there is this thing that begins football pretty big deal in america so hard rock stadium has college football and the nfl miami dolphins also play in this stadium and it basically takes over the entire area every single weekend that goes on until february ish if you know depending on how good the dolphins how, are <laughs> right which is that this isn't an nfl podcast so we i know we don't need to touch all of that right now we don't have time to unpack all of that yeah so and you then, have august through february just nixed like yeah you can't use a football stadium during football season yeah and then right after february the hard rock stadium also hosts the miami open so they have the entire True. area taken over by tennis uh tennis courts and all of the spectators for that and immediately after that is over which i believe every year it's always around like march 20th 22nd they start breaking everything down and building the grandstands. And for the next six weeks, basically, and even before that in areas that they're not utilizing for the Miami Open, they're building the Miami GP because the track takes over so much of the space. It takes over like regular roads. You can't and parking really, and like it's it's the, the entire parking, parking for every area. other event. Yeah, right. 
So it is the Miami GP is sandwiched perfectly in the space in between every other sporting event with time to also like set up the event as well. I'm convinced that Taylor Swift wasn't able to go to Miami because they were building the Miami Grand Prix track. So she had to go to Tampa because it takes up so much space and it requires a lot of time to set up and deconstruct. And there's also this interesting thing that occurs um, between June to November called hurricane season. And you cannot university right like an actual hurricane season right yes not in terms of miami hurricane football but like actual hurricanes that occur um in the state of florida and particularly a lot and you know you don't want to be there in august it's so hot you think it's already hot in may in miami wait till the summer so it's it's the best case scenario or for when it's even possible to have a miami grand prix at all it's going to be Cinco de Mayo weekend for the time being. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Canada is in June. So we can't move Miami to June because then it would be in hurricane season and there's a high likelihood that it wouldn't happen. And I don't think any of the organizers want that. Uh, so I, I have heard that they're trying to work with Canada to get Canada to move back to, into May to be closer to the well-explained tiny window that Miami has to host this as long as it's at Hard Rock, as long as it's at Hard Rock Stadium. It'd be interesting if they're able to get Canada to move at all and kind of keep everyone within, you know, East Coast-ish of North America. Something else that definitely stood out, still no race on the African content <sighs> continent at all. Just not happening, not acknowledged, just kind of, uh, all right, 24 races in 2024. Hey, at least for once they, like, got the fun thing right. For the last two years, they've accidentally lucked into 22 races in 2022 and 23 races in 2023. But, yeah, it's really frustrating because this is supposed to be a global sport. And F1 Experiences put out a map in their announcement of this with like the entire globe and then all the little red dots of where all the races are and like the entire continent of Africa is like right there in the middle taking up so much of the graphic with not a single red dot on it and it's really it's really frustrating <laughs> to me personally also because like they're trying to work with like the circuit in South Africa that has been on the F1 calendar before, so it's historic. And the track itself looks sick, and it would be really cool to go there. So I just really hope they can make this happen for 2025, and I will always be frustrated and disappointed. Um, it's also a, a good reminder when people get upset about the, uh, the newer circuits in certain locations. I love looking at the map that you can see on the YouTube video right now. Um, if you head over there, and just seeing, like, it's really great to see all the dots across the entire globe. And, like, it's great to see F1 reaching every single continent that's not Africa. That's so much really angry. But it's like, um, I do, like, it's a good visual understanding also of, like, yeah, so we have five North American races now. But, like, that's a big part of the world and like i would actually love to see more than just brazil and south america because that also feels like an area on the map that deserves and would like more racing so i like more diversity of location is always good so i like the diversity of location that has grown but just gosh put one in africa please yeah that's i was just the who 
you took the thought like right out of my brain. I was thinking the exact same thing of, you know, I was hoping that they would we'd be able to see, the, you know, Africa on the calendar for next year. But then at least there's, you know, such a strong fan base in Brazil and we see the interest there. Mm-hmm. And there's so much other area within South America that there probably also has potential for racing. So I'd love to see it grow there, too. But yes, here's to hope for 2025. I think it'd be a really cool, exciting thing to see such a historic circuit return to the calendar uh but we'll see we'll see if we will have 24 races in 2024 but it'll be interesting to see if that can stay true yellow sector notes not the fastest walk around f1 but we will complete a full lap around the paddock hitting every f1 garage starting with the red bull garage question christian horner did some karaoke with adrian newey post-race and it was it's hard for me to say this because it's Christian Horner, but it was one of the best videos I've seen all season. I want to watch Adrian Newey do karaoke for a whole night. Red Bull, Williams, and Haas all ran a single car at the Pirelli tire test this week. Part of the aim of the test for Red Bull is to determine if Daniel Ricciardo should get a shot in the AlphaTauri seat. I wonder if by the time you are all listening to this, we know the answer to that question. McLaren and Mercedes will also be doing tire testing with Pirelli this week, but they're going to do a wet tire test where they're testing out putting guards over the tires to see if that will help with spray in wet conditions. Charles Leclerc and Pierre Gasly attended Will... Will... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Charles Leclerc and Pierre Gasly attended Wimbledon this week. No, Nicole and I didn't cross-reference our Gossip Grid and our Yellow Sector notes this week, but we normally do. Uh, Aston Martin ran a different livery at the British GP to welcome Valvoline as their new sponsor. Lastly, I want to point out a storyline from this weekend that I think people forgot about too quickly, and it's that Alpha underfueled Batash's car, and it was disqualified from quality. There were too many stories that happened this weekend, so I understand why this is forgotten, but they purposely underfueled the car or accidentally either. Like, this isn't something that I think we should just let go away without talking about. But that's it. That's the grid walk for July 13th, 2023 completed. How was my sector time today, Nicole? Faster than the Danny Rick Alphatari rumors started popping up immediately after the race. Thank you, as always, to VoiceOver Man. Thank you to... Silverstone superstar Roscoe Hamilton and our four-legged executive producers. If you're an audio listener, don't forget to follow, turn on auto downloads, rate review the pod. It'll take you two seconds to make our entire week and honestly probably our month. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe, like the video, leave a comment, tell us, is Silverstone also your favorite track? Because it's definitely ours. All of these things really, really help other people find our podcast and we really appreciate you doing them. Did you know that we make F1 content literally every single day? You can join us for daily grid walks on any of the social media platforms that you use, including threads, at Gridwalk Show. Follow us for daily grid walks. We will be back to walk the Formula One grid every single Thursday, and we sincerely hope you join us. Whew, today felt like a grid movie.